Thank you, brother. And as that last line in the song said, oh, for grace to trust him more. If we're going to trust him more, it is going to be by grace. And God imparts grace to us even through the preaching of the word, and especially through the reading of it. So let me read Jeremiah 5, verses 30 and 31. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? This is the word of God. Thank you, church, for coming. You can be seated. As you're being seated, please bow with me as we ask God's blessing on this time because we need it. Father, I pray that you would please help us as we look into your word now. I pray that you would do what I mentioned, Lord, impart grace to us, Lord, as we hear the word preached. Give us hearts that are willing to submit to the truth and give us grace to walk in the truth. Help us to even want to walk in the truth, Lord. Bend our wills to line up more with your will. Lord, I pray that you'd, of course, correct any stubbornness that we might have in our hearts, any selfishness. Lord, please help us to be more like Jesus, humble, pleased to do the will of the Father, and full of joy. Help us to receive that joy as we hear the word preached and respond to it accordingly. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, as we're going through the book of Jeremiah, you recall that Jeremiah is up against a wave of oppositions, multiple waves of opposition, actually, because he's standing against a rebellious people who are doing things their way, yet proclaiming it to be God's way. And that's what he's up against. And that's what we find here in chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. You recall we started these verses last week. They are so rich and dense that we're going to make three messages out of them. And we can do it easily. There's just so much here. Last week we saw that the appalling and horrible thing that happened in the land was, number one, the prophets were prophesying falsely. Today we're going to focus on just this one statement. And the priests rule at their direction. You might recall how this is set up, how this text is set up. We have the set-up statement, appalling and horrible thing happened in the land. Then we have three what I call crimes, the three crimes. Number one, the prophets prophesy falsely. Number two, the priests rule at their direction. Number three, the people love to have it so. And then he ends with a question, what will you do in the end? So statement, three crimes, question. We're dealing with the second crime today. The priests rule at their direction. If you have an, an NIV, you'll see that your text says that the priests rule by their own authority. If you have the New American Standard Bible, you're going to see that it says the priests rule by their own power. Literally, the Hebrew word there, the Hebrew phrase says the priests rule by their own hand. Priests rule by their own hand. That's what it actually says in the original language. This, this Hebrew word, when we see it in a lot of other places in the rest of the scripture, it means doing things by your own hand, you doing it yourself. Whether it's their own direction, their own authority, their own power, their own hand, the meaning's the same. The meaning is the same. What's the meaning? It's coming from them. That's where it's coming from. This ruling that they're doing, the crime is that they are the ones calling the shots as to how they carry out their priestly service to God. It's coming from them. 
which is the corruption of their role. What is their role? Let's talk about the role of the priest. Maybe you aren't familiar with what the priests do. Well, they have a few things in common with the prophets, and they have some roles that are totally different. Let's look at their roles. I actually made a slide for you all for this. As you might recall from last week, the prophets were spokesmen. Remember prophets? We said they were spokesmen. That's what they used was the tool of their mouth. They, he, the prophet's role is speaking the truth for your faith in God. The priest, however, he's a servant. Prophet's the spokesman. Priest is a servant. What does the priest do? What's his role? His role is serving in the temple for your fellowship with God. Prophet His role is speaking the truth for your faith in God. Priest, serving in the temple for your fellowship with God. These men existed under the old covenant. If you were going to have any fellowship with God in that day as a worshiper of God, much of that centered around the temple. Why? Because God's spirit, God's presence dwelled in the temple. Of course, his spirit dwells everywhere, but he dwells in the temple. Sacrifices had to be made for your sins and for your acceptance. Why? Well, because God's holy and you're not. And so there were sin offerings. There were fellowship offerings. There were peace offerings. There were free will offerings. There were food offerings. These were also, there were also rather, there were holy days. You might recall the festival, the feast called the Passover. You might also remember one called the Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost. That's how we know it in the New Testament, right? The day of Pentecost. The birthday of the church happened on that day. And the Feast of Booths. These were all called Feasts of Obligation. Why? Because you were obligated to go to Jerusalem because these had to be celebrated at the temple because there were certain sacrifices that had to be made in order to fulfill all the requirements that God placed upon these feasts, these festivals. And priests were the only ones who could carry out those sacrifices because the priests were the only ones that could ascend the steps of the altar and place the offering on the altar. The priests were necessary. They were the only ones who would be accepted by God to carry this out. Only priests or the high priests were allowed on certain parts of the temple grounds or inside the temple itself. Only the priests or the high priest. And it's because these men were of the correct tribe, the tribe of Levi. And most importantly, it's because they've been consecrated to be holy. Now children, I'm going to be using this word consecrated a lot. What does it mean? If something's consecrated, what that means is it's set apart for a holy use. It's set apart as holy for God. It's just literally what it means to be consecrated. It's set apart as holy and can be used in service to God. People can be consecrated. Things can be consecrated. But that's simply what it means. In the Old Testament, God himself, God communicated to Moses how his people were to worship him, and how that worship would be seen as acceptable. And that's really what this all boils down to, guys. Listen to me. God himself communicated to Moses how man was to worship him and how that worship would be seen as acceptable. God determines how he is to be approached 
especially because, like I said, he's holy and we're not. So if we're going to approach him at all, he has to tell us how to do it. So, Exodus 29. Exodus 29 is this whole chapter, and the theme of that chapter is how to consecrate the priests. That's what it's all about, how to consecrate the priests. And it's a long, specific It's a long and specific process, okay? And I'll get to that text in just a moment. But it's a long and specific process that involves two things. Number one, the proper attire for their physical consecration. The proper attire for their physical consecration, which the Lord himself prescribed. Again, this is all laid out at the Lord's command, okay? The priest had to physically appear. He had to physically appear in a holy way to carry out the prescribed steps, the prescribed steps of right worship. Secondly is this, listen to this, he had to also be spiritually holy, okay, spiritually consecrated, not just physically consecrated and made physically holy, he had to be spiritually consecrated as well. Their consecration process involved proper sacrifices, proper offerings, so that they could appear in his presence spiritually holy. So just as their clothing, their common daily clothing had to be removed and replaced with holy clothing, so their common daily sins had to be removed and covered by holy sacrifices. Otherwise, they weren't fit to serve. They were unfit to serve with the holy items and among the holy things for the purpose of holy worship. They couldn't do it. Now, let's get to that text that popped up a second ago. Listen to Exodus 29, verses 43 and 46. The Lord's talking about the tabernacle right here. What's the tabernacle? If you don't know, it's just basically the portable temple before it was built permanently in a spot by Solomon. It could be taken up, taken down, moved, but it was the meeting place of God. And God says this to Moses in Exodus 29. Listen. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. He's talking about the tabernacle. What's going to make it sanctified? God's presence, he says. I'm the one who sanctifies it by my glory. My glory makes it special. Otherwise, it's just fancy-looking stuff. What made it special was God's presence. Verse 44, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. You see that? God had to consecrate them in order for them to serve him as priests. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I'll be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I'm the Lord their God. The priests were the men... God used to carry out proper worship between God and his people. These priests acted as these mediators between the people and God. This is why ruling by their own direction, ruling by their own authority, ruling by their own hand, that's why it's such crime. It would not work and it could not work if they were doing it themselves by their own rules, by their own ways, by their own power, by their own authority. It sabotages everything. 
It ruins everything. Because God said, this is how you are to do it. And then for a man to come along and say, okay, thanks, I'll do it my way, though. It ruins it. According to that text that we just read, the meeting place of God was made holy by God. It was his presence that makes anything holy, right? Can you think of something that's truly, really holy, that's not made holy because of God? The book in your hand, we call it the Holy Bible. Why? Why is it holy? Because it's the word of God. God's what makes anything holy. What did God say to Moses when he walked up to the burning bush? Take the sandals off your feet, for you're standing on holy ground. Why was it holy? Because God was there. It's his instruction that makes the priest holy for his service, not their own. It's his prescribed sacrifices that atone for the sins of man and not their own. Not their own sacrifices. It was these sacrifices that God said, bring these. These are the ones that atone. They couldn't bring anything they wanted, as we try to do with God, don't we? We try to do that with God. I know I'm not really following Jesus, but maybe if I give a lot of money, that'll fix it all. I have a friend who's a pastor, and his name is Mark Little. And he was in a church where a wealthy man started attending for a little while. He had not seen this man in a long time, and he knew this man had troubles in his past and, and just wasn't living a godly life. And this man started coming to church. And he gave a very healthy offering to the church. And Pastor Mark said rightly, he said, he said to him, you know this doesn't forgive your sins. You, you know this, right? I thought that was very, number one, bold, but extremely accurate to say, because men think that sometimes. Well, I'll do this great feat, and surely God will look upon that. And forgive all my sins. No. The only thing God's ever going to look upon is Jesus Christ. We approach God in God's way, not in our own way. Let me say that again. We approach God in God's way, not our own way. Period. That's why if someone tells you, well, I worship God in my own way, you can rightly respond by saying, okay, but I worship him in his way. And what is his way? Through his son, Jesus Christ, who if, I, who, if I'm not mistaken, calls himself the way. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to rightly approach God. It's through the prescribed way that God has made now for men to be saved, that God has made now for men to approach him, to come to him, now, for us, is through the Son. Though it's always been that way, it's just men of the old covenant didn't know that everything that they were doing actually pointed to something greater, which we'll get to in a moment. But let me say this, attempting to worship God in your own way, attempting to worship God in your own way is the same crime that the priests committed. Because so what's it say about them? The priests rule at their direction. They weren't the first ones to do this, however. The very first high priest ever, you might know his name. He was the brother of Moses. 
His name was Aaron. He was the first high priest ever, the first man that God made a high priest. He had sons under him. These sons were appointed as priests. Two sons, namely, who were the most famous because of what they did. Their names were Nadab and Abihu. Remember hearing of them, Nadab and Abihu? Young priests, young people in leadership positions will sometimes try to be inventive. We'll sometimes try to bring in something new. We'll sometimes try to say, yes, I, I know how, I know what the rules say, but you know, if we just tweaked it a little bit, it'd be better. Young, impetuous. Listen to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Leviticus 10, 1. Look what it says. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They offered unauthorized fire on the altar of incense. They offered, they offered unauthorized incense, unauthorized fire. Literally, that word is strange. If you've read this in the old King James, I believe it translates it, strange fire. It's also translated elsewhere in Scripture as the word stranger. It's translated elsewhere in Scripture to mean someone who's outside of the family, a foreigner. It's also used when speaking about foreign gods, strange gods, gods that were outside of the real God, not the real one. The idea is this offering was outside of what God prescribed. It didn't originate with God. It came from outside his command. It came from outside of his will. Therefore, it was against his command, and it was against his will. And there's a principle there, isn't there? A very good one, very easy one to get, even for the children. It was foreign to what made for right worship. This offering, this sacrifice that they brought of their own initiative, of their own invention, was outside of what made for right worship. And this action had dire consequences for these two reckless young men. Let's read the following verses in verses 2 and 3 of that same chapter. It says this, after they offered, after they offered these, this is Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3, and I may have sent the wrong reference um, yes, can we change that to Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3? That's my fault. I sent you guys the wrong one. Um, I've even got the wrong reference here in my notes, but the right portion of Scripture. I just typed it out wrong. Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3. That's where we're trying to be. So after they offer this strange fire, after they offer this unauthorized fire before the Lord, what does it say? Look at verses 2 and 3. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, 
This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. That's their father, by the way. Looking at the two scorched bodies of his sons. The father of those two young men knew that there was nothing that he could have said. And he held his peace. You might be thinking, well, why did God slay these two priests for doing something by their own hand? But the priests in Jeremiah's day are being charged with the same thing, ruling by their own authority, ruling by their own hand, and they're still alive. Do you see that? Because this was hundreds of years later when Jeremiah is on the scene, hundreds of years later. What we see at the beginning here with, with Aaron, what's going on there, that's at the beginning of when the Lord was setting up the right worship, the system for right worship among his people under the old covenant. That was the beginning of it. The tabernacle was about to be built. Well, it actually had been built once they offered this, obviously. But giving the laws happened in Exodus. And then starting to carry them out, we see happened in Leviticus. So why? Why drop those two men dead but let the priest of Jeremiah's day stay alive and continue this folly. Why not strike them dead too? Seems like it'd be quicker, easier, more efficient. When God starts a thing, he sets the example. He himself shows how serious it is that it remain holy. Nadab and Abihu are the example under the old covenant system when he first set up right worship for those under the old covenant. We have another example happening of that when he started up the system under the new covenant. Two other people were struck dead for doing something wrong. A husband and a wife. You remember who they were? Ananias and Sapphira. Let me read to you. Let me just read this. Acts 5, 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed and your heart, you've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Why am I bringing this up? 
when God began, began the system of worship under the old covenant through the means of the priests and the temple, and when God began the system of worship under the new covenant through the means of Christ and his church, he set the standard of holiness, okay? And he carried out swift judgment to those who took it lightly to set the example. After that, he places that responsibility of maintaining holiness and maintaining righteousness in this system, he, place, he places that under our, under our care. It's kind of like when you get a job, a, first, a, a job for the very first time, you've never worked there before. What do they do? They put someone alongside you. You stick with him, him or her for a day or two, and they show you, hey, this is how it's done. Watch how I do it. This is the right way to do it. If you're going to stay here, <laughs> do it the way I'm showing you to do it. You got it? You're off in sailing. Goodbye. Maintain what I showed you to do, and everything will be fine. And that's the example we get with the Lord. He struck down Nadab and Abihu, and he struck down Ananias and Sapphira because he started a new holy thing, and he was saying, it has to stay holy. It's got to be done my way in order for it to be right worship, accepted by me. And he showed everyone just how serious this is under the beginning of the old covenant system and at the beginning of the new covenant system. Both times he shows, take this seriously. The responsibility is now ours, ours to maintain holiness in our own lives and in our own churches. That's why, as a church, we exercise something called church discipline if... You've fallen in to sin. You can, maybe you don't see it. We say, hey, this is sinful. God wants a holy church. And because we love you, we're saying this has to go. If it doesn't go, what we're saying is, well, there's going to be things that we put into place that help you see the seriousness of this. For two reasons. Number one, we love you, and we know that sin, sin damns you. Number two, we know that we can't have a polluted church. None of us can be that way. That's why we need leaders who rule by God's direction and God's authority and not their own. We need leaders who rule by God's authority and God's direction and not their own. Now, that doesn't always build big churches, does it? I mean, look around this morning. <laughs> it doesn't always build big churches, does it? No, it doesn't. God's always had, it seems, a smaller remnant throughout the years, throughout the ages of true followers. Now, am I saying, therefore, big churches are doing it wrong? No, I'm not saying that at all. Thank the Lord, there are some really good big churches too, like John MacArthur, for example, Pastor Harry Reeder, who passed away recently, Tim Keller, faithful ministers who were with Jesus, except for John MacArthur, um, all had big churches, and praise God for that. These were men who followed a greater example. We have to follow a greater example also of the greatest high priest. We have a greater example of the great high priest. How did he rule? 
He was a high priest. Jesus was the greatest high priest. How did he rule? What did he do? Let's read about the greatest example. Let's see how the greatest example did it, because if we're mirroring the greatest example, then we'll never go wrong. John 6, 38, listen to this. For I have come, this is Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you hear that? John 8, 29. Listen to this. Jesus again speaking. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Even Jesus, when he was here on earth, in the flesh, submitted to the Father's perfect will. Why would you and I think we have the right to do anything different? Even Jesus, when he was here, in the flesh, as the God-man, submitted to the will of the Father. So why, why would we attempt anything different? Why, why would we? But people do. Even church members do. To step outside of God's will and step outside of God's way and be rash and bold and unafraid to think that we can just approach God any way we want. How foolish. It is rash. It's bold. But it's very foolish to be like Nadab and Abihu and think, yeah, I know what God said, but you know, if we just tweak it a little bit, just, just tweak it a little bit. I'm offering incense after all. I'm even wearing the right clothes. Okay. But did God say to do it in that way and in that time? Well, no, but I just thought, I just thought, I just thought, I just thought. I just thought. God's given us everything we need. We do it God's way. We don't do it our way. Why would we want to do it our way. We destroy it when we do it our way. God's given us everything that we need to step outside of God's will and God's way, to approach God any way we please. We fall into the same trap of Ananias and Sapphira. We fall into the same trap of Nadab and Abihu. But you know what's really good? You know what's really good? Jesus, our high priest, did everything necessary for all the Nadabs and Abihus and for all the Ananiases and Sapphiras to be forgiven. Isn't that good news? Because we've all tried to approach God in one way or another. That was our own way and not God's way. Or maybe we didn't even care about God at all. All the ones who've dared to think they are acceptable to God, despite their rebellion, Jesus came to forgive those. Do you know why? Do you know how? Well, because like I said at the beginning, these are crimes. The prophets, what they were doing was a crime. The priests, what they were doing was a crime. We'll see, uh, was a crime. And we'll see next week that the people, what they're doing is also a crime. But what's good is we have a priest, a high priest, who did this for us. I'm going to end with this. Look at Hebrews 9, verses 24 through 26. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands. He's talking about the temple. talking about the tabernacle. Which are copies of the true things. But into heaven itself, now to appear into the presence of God on our behalf. Like the priest did on behalf of the people. 
Verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do what? To put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. You see, the priestly service pointed to Jesus. The whole priestly service pointed to Jesus. How did it do that? Well, because he's the great high priest who enters into heaven. Secondly, the sacrificial system pointed to Jesus. How? Well, because he's the once-for-all sacrifice. So, to end, let's glory in the perfect God-man who became a criminal for us. These men were guilty of these crimes. Well, guess what? Jesus became a criminal for us and suffered under God's wrath. He even suffered between two criminals, two thieves, He suffered as though he was the criminal, but we're the criminals. He suffered for our crime, shedding his blood, crucified between those two thieves. He died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day that we might approach God in God's way. Through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that you would please help us to never be guilty of this crime of the priests ruling at our own direction, at our own authority, our own hand, our own power. Lord, help us to be like Jesus and submit to your perfect will, your perfect way, and he is the way. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to walk in the way, Lord. Help us to abide in Christ Help us to not even have desires to bend or change or alter your perfect way. Help us to not think so highly of ourselves that we think we know better than God. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.